Praise God. Here we go. Here we go. One more. One more Dominion Sonship live. Hallelujah. I have uh, a big message. Big message. And I have to focus. Focus. And so we have the focus of the Holy Spirit today to get the word out. He impressed on my heart. Um, actually this morning. Yes, this morning. But it's truly a continuation from the meditations that we have been in um, for now, I, I'd say over five weeks, and that is to do with the Word of God, the confidence that we are to have in the Word of God, that the Word of God does not change, that the Word of God is to be trusted, that there, an assur- there is an assurance of the Word of God because He, our Father God, sealed that word with the blood that he made a promise and an oath and that the Lord Jesus Christ is that covenant sacrificial lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world so we can now be blameless in the sight of God so we can now be born again born out of the incorruptible incorruptible non-perishable non-destroying ever living ever abiding ever enduring Word of God. Last week we talked about the unswervingness that we have in the yes of God, the unwavering yes and commitment that we have from God towards us in the word, that this word does not shift. This word is unchanging. In the book of Hebrews chapter 6, the writer writes to prove the immutability the unchangeable nature of our God, he swore, he made an oath, he made an oath. And we know that that was with the son, that the son came as a surety of a new covenant based on better provinces, a new covenant. So let's go back to where we started the last few weeks, and that would be in First Peter. The title for today is No Wavering in Adverse Wind. No wavering in adverse wind. This is our portion. The in Christ now, we do not have to waver when the wind is adverse, when the wind is strong against us. We do not have to cower. We don't have to budge from the persuasion that we had in the beginning that we can withstand every storm steadfast in the faith. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1, if we go back to 22, Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls, and we spoke last week of the purification of the soul is the renewing of the mind, in obeying the truth that when we are a doer of the word of God, there is a renewing that's happening in our, in our mind, that we are now seeing things in a brand new way. We're seeing it from the brand new eyes that we have in our new birth, the eyes of the Spirit. And so, the, this is the work through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, having been born again, and so it's telling that I can love my brethren with a fervent, pure love because I am born again. Because I am born again, not of corruptible, not of seed that's changing, not of seed that is, that is fearful, but of an incorruptible seed. And this incorruptible seed is the word of God. 
the word of God. Let's read that verse. I, I'm running over a little bit too fast. So let me just slow slow down. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word of God lives and abides forever. And then, and then here Peter quotes is as the flesh, all flesh is as grass. This is regarding the corruptibility of the world and the flesh. Flesh is as grass and all the glory of man and the pride of life as the flower of the grass. The grass withers. The grass always withers. The things of the flesh always lead to destruction. The wages of sin, the wage of sin is death. That if we choose to abide in the perishable seed of the old man, then they'll always be withering. But we are a tree planted by the streams of water whose leaves do not wither. Why? Because we are born of this incorruptible seed of the word of God. And that's why it's of great importance that you walk in the revelation of the new birth, that you don't see yourself after your mommy and daddy's natural birth and descent because that is of the natural seed that is corruptible. But we have the supernatural seed born of God from the word that endures forever. That's what 25 Verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What else do we know that endures forever? The love of God endures forever. If we go, I actually put my little sticky here in 1 Corinthians 13 regarding what, who love is, what love looks like, who God is, how God expresses himself. That God is love. And so this is what love looks like. Love suffers long and is kind and love does not envy. Well, when we speak of love, we speak of the word of God. Right? When we speak of love, we speak of the word of God. Why? Because God so loved the world that he sent whom? <laughs> His word that became flesh. And so when you walk, when you walked with Jesus, when you watched Jesus in, in, in the moment of the disciples back in the day, 2,000 years ago, you actually saw the word made flesh a pure demonstration of love because God is love and he was the expressed image of his father who is love. And so when we talk about the word being incorruptible, we're talking about love that does not fail. Love never fails. God spoke to me regarding today's message, the title again being no wavering in adverse wind. And the Lord spoke to me, the instability in one's life comes from instability in the word of God. Not persuaded by truth. Not convinced that this truly is the way it is. Final authority. That's it. Everything else is a lie. It doesn't matter what appears. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter how you feel and how you don't feel today. The word is truth. The word is love. And the word states that we are born 
of the incorruptible seed of the word of God that endures forever, that abides forever. And because God so loved us that he gave us his word in flesh. And so we can go and look at love. The love suffers long. The word suffers long with us. The word is very patient with you today. The Holy Spirit is ever making that intercession of the word of God. Always bringing to remembrance what he has spoken to you in the word or what he's whispered within your spirit, man, to encourage you. Love is kind. The word is kind. This word is kind to us. And if you do not see the word of God in the context of love, you will fear it in the wrong way and you will not partake of this word. You will bring a separation between you and God. And that's the ultimate distrust and mistrust. It's, it's, it's an inability to perceive that this word is love to you. That love corrects. The love chastens. Hebrews 13. Or is it Hebrews 12? The tail end of Hebrews. So let's go back. What does love look like? Does not envy. Love does not parade itself. There's no pride in the word of God. But there's pure confidence. Not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Doesn't seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. This is what love is. And this is how the word of God expresses himself to us. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Because the word endures forever. Love never fails. The word will never fail you today. The word will never fail you tomorrow, nor for the rest of the days that you have on earth. The word will never fail us. And so let's go now to chapter 2. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. In Romans 10, 10, 11, that's what Paul tells us. Romans 10, 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him, whoever believes on him, who is he? He is the word of God. Whoever believes on this word that now has become a chief cornerstone in your life, that that's the plumbness of your structure. That the chief cornerstone determines the stability and the, and the upwardness. The, what's the word? Um, the, the, the straightness of your edifice, of your building, of your life. And if you're not plumb on the word of God as a chief cornerstone that this word be to you, then everything will be off kilter. There'll be great instability. And that's what God said to me. Instability comes from an instability in the word of God, of not situating yourself in the word of God, not being a doer of the word, not found on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, but always found that shifting sand of water well maybe so or maybe not this time well you know I messed up so bad
over this little stump. No, 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 no. It's of the old. Oh, that is of the old mindset. What is of the new mindset is that I am loved. I am now his beloved. They've been washed with the blood. I'm purchased by him and that he finds no fault in me. That's why a new covenant had to be done in the blood of Christ because the old covenant, the right of Hebrews has found fault in them. But in the new covenant, there's no fault finding. It's been obliterated. Sin's been destroyed forever. The power of it to rule over your life unless you choose to not renew your mind and live out of your carnal flesh. At that moment, you're subject to the law of sin and death. Although in Christ, we have a brand new lot work, which is what? The law of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so go back to First Peter 2, that he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. There's no shame to be found in the word of God. And not only will you not be put to shame, but the word will never shame you. Not only would the Lord allow you when you stand on his word to be shamed by others in terms of it to communicate shame because that power of shame is destroyed over your life forever. You're never moved by shame. You're never moved by timidity because you've not been given that spirit of fear. The word of God is a bold confidence of an assurance of I am loved and I'm right with my father God because Jesus became sin for me. So I be made righteous in the sight of my father. And the word of God will never shame you. The word of God will never, ever condemn you. Verse 7, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, that which was supposed to keep you plumb and straight and intact and perfect. When you reject that cornerstone now, it becomes a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And there's nothing more unstable than a stumble. There's nothing more, more unstable than a man offended or a woman offended. Instability. Why? Because there was a rejection of truth. A rejection of the word of God. They stumble being disobedient to the word. Here he tells us. They stumble. They are unstable. They can't walk straight. They can't walk upright. Because of being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Now I want to look at this word disobedient. And we're going to start building the case and then we're going to go to look at Peter's example walking on the water. And that would link up this title with the message, no wavering in adverse wind. So this word in the Strong's is um, the verse, they stumble being disobedient to the word in the Strong's. It says they disobeyed the message. That word disobey is very interesting, actually. So what makes you stumble is this, this, this disobedience to the word of God. That word disobedient is rebel. When you rebel 
against the word. Why? Because you have, with arrogance in your mind, exalted your old carnal mindset above the word of God. That's how you rebel against the word. And that would, of course, down the road manifest in a rebellious behavior. But when we first rebel is against the word being truth in our persuasion. Oh, no, that, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that message. I, I know that verse. Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously it doesn't really fully apply to me. And sometimes I don't even think of it that way. It's like when my circumstance is attends, my circumstance demands my attention. And so I need to attend to my situation here. Don't tell me what the Bible says. Don't tell me about what the Bible says. I need to attend to my situation because unless I fix it, no one's going to fix it. Who's going to fix it? No one loves me. And you, you go just down the line of that conversation. And before you know it, you're totally offended and you're sourpuss, sourpuss. <laughs> Disgruntled for a little moment until the Holy Ghost apprehends us again. And so... That word, again, they stumble because of being disobedient to the word. One word for that to disobey is to rebel, rebellious to the word of God. Disloyal is another one. We don't want to ever be disloyal to the word. Because if we're disloyal to the word, we're rejecting this cornerstone that's keeping us plumbing in line. But look at this other one. To refuse conformity. What does Paul write in Romans 12, 12, um, 1 and 2? The way to what? Be, be conformed not to the world, right? But we're to renew our mind. How? By conformity with the word of God. But here, one way, well, the way actually is, but you refusing to conform to the word of God, you are disobedient and you're making yourself stumble. Why? Because you think you know better than this word. Because we just don't want to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand that is expressed through his word. Because we just have a better opinion on the matter. We have a little bit of history. Mom did it this way. Grandma did it this way. And so uh, it proved to work on some sort of a level. Whether they serve God or not doesn't really matter. And so I'm just going to do the same way, same way, same way. Being disloyal to the word of God, refusing to conform to the word of God. And it is from this word that actually is disbelief. The root to this word disobey is actually disbelief. Here, if I look at this word, it's, it's, it's a, uh, the strongs. So that word disobedient, the root of is, is, um, Strong's 544, and the reference to that is 543, and that is apatheia. It almost sounds like apathy. That's like, I'm sure that's the root of apathy, not believing the word of God. And it is willful unbelief. Can you imagine? Willful unbelief, obstinacy, and disobedience. So we can't put it on God. God, I'm stumbling really bad. Can you steady me? Can you steady me, God? We've got to take a closer look of that. And within 
the, the meditations of our mind and our heart. What do we really believe? Are we conforming to the word of God? Are we found loyal to the word of God? Or are we rejecting this word? And sometimes it's very subtle because we so have learned to excuse our unbelief. Difficult times. Um, excuses, so many excuses. So many excuses before God. They all are before God. And at the end of the day, it comes bound to here, comes, comes back to here, being disobedient, being disloyal, refusing, refusing to believe. That word, that root word there, it's actually made up of two words. And it is the word not and persuaded is the other one. So we have apatheia, it is um, not and pato. So we know pato is actually the root word for pistis, which is faith. And so the opposite of of being persuaded in the word of God, which is faith. The opposite of it is this word, is this disobedience to the word of God. In um, Hebrews 11, I'll just go really fast, Hebrews 11 here. Why are we looking at this? Does it really matter? Yes, it does. Because if we do not have this willing obedience, this willing conformity to the word of God, we will be stumbling and will be wavering in this adverse wind of the hour. And there is a great strength to the adverse wind in this hour. When Peter chose to obey the word of God, the word of Jesus, to walk in the water after Jesus said to him, come, what, what, did, what was the first thing he surveyed? How boisterous the wind was. And some translations talk about how strong the wind was, how violent the wind was. The wind was violent and the wind was boisterous. That was not a lie. But he chose to believe I over the word of God come. And so the excuse that we do on a daily basis is that it's really difficult. Right now, the wind is boisterous. It's very adverse. Well, that's not the issue. The issue is not the wind. The issue is your heart's persuasion. What are you going to choose to believe? <laughs> if you want to look at the wind, go ahead. Look at the wind. But don't use that as an excuse before God because you're sinking. You're on sinking ground. You will stumble. That's why it was the response to Jesus, to Peter, is like, why, why did you doubt? Why no faith in you, Peter? I always wonder until I, why did Jesus respond to him that way? Because now the Lord is breaking down these words and the meaning of the words. It's, it's to do with this inner persuasion. You either, you either are loyal to the truth of the word of God and, and only you and God knows that. Only you and God. We can pretend until what? The cows come home. Is that how you say it? You can pretend. We have a lot of pretenders. 
And last week, we looked at one of the verses about imposters. that are deceived, they're being deceived, and are deceiving. Imposters. We don't want to be an imposter. We want to be truth believers. And so, in Hebrews 11, this is what faith looks like. This is what persuasion looks like. It is substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. We know fear is substance, too. Unbelief is substance, too. Evidence of things not seen. When you fear and dread, it's also giving you evidence. Are you going to die? You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You haven't died yet. <laughs> but it's what to give you an evidence. Refuse that evidence. Come back to the word. Come back to the word. With long life, he satisfies me. And shows, shows me his salvation. Days of heaven on earth for me and mine. Ha ha. And so this is, this is what faith looks like. It's a, faith is a persuasion. And um, that word pistis, which is faith, it means to persuade, to be persuaded. And uh, the root of it is peto, which was also one of the words used in this word that Peter used about those assembled, they're disobedient to the word of God. But in that context, it was the opposite, meaning they were not persuaded. But faith is a persuasion. It supplies the core meaning of faith. I'm looking at the Strong's Concordance, the explanation here. It's God's warranty that guarantees the fulfillment of the revelation that he births within the receptive believer. God backs up this faith persuasion. Because it's backed by the word of God that loves you, that endures to the very end. It will never disappoint you. It will never fail you. Never fail you. Will never fail you. Now let's go to James. James, you hear James spoken, and, and I've had precious people tell me this thing. And, uh, in, um, where is James? Right before First Peter. James 2. You gotta have the works, you know, you gotta have the works. Faith without, without works is dead. So unless you do something, then it's dead. Your faith is dead. And, and many times the, the works are referring to is the works of the flesh. <laughs> you gotta do something. Uh, what's the other one? God will help the ones that help themselves. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many weird interpretations of things but let's 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 ask the holy ghost to give us understanding so james 2:18 but someone will say you have faith and i have works show me your faith without your works and i'll show you my faith by my works you believe that there is one god you do well even the demons believe and tremble but do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, and look at the context he's giving us here. Keep, keep this in the context of the passage. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? We know we're justified by faith, right? And here, here the works he's referring to is these faith works. 
Because you know what that's referring to is being a doer of the word of God, not just a mere hearer. It is from this word persuasion. You are moving into action. Really, that is the act of the Holy Ghost that's moving and propelling you. It's this persuasion of the word of God that the word has power to move you. And one of the words in in, um, in Ephesians 1, and we can look at it there, that, that we now, our eyes, the eyes of our understanding are to be open to this mighty working of the Holy Ghost within us. One of the words that's used in that context of his mighty working is the word energio, which is this, this um, supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, look at Abraham as an example. Where else does it tell us to look at, as, uh, to Abraham? I mean, I think of Romans 4 we read, I think it was last week, about Abraham. Not wavering at the promise of God. Not wavering at the promise of God. So when you don't waver at the promise of God, you will not waver with the adverse wind. Why? Because there's a Holy Ghost wind that's keeping you steady because you're on the cornerstone of the Word of God. You're firmly planted because you believe and from you believe you are doing because I can assure, actually I wrote it here, that your works, that what you, de- you do, you did some translation, translate this word works deed. Whatever you do demonstrates what you believe. You never do something in opposition to what you believe. And so he's look look at look at Abraham. Did Abraham believe God? Yes, the Bible says against all hope he hoped and he believed and he became the father of many nations. Just as God had said. And so you will become just as God has said if you do what Abraham did, believe and act. And the action, look at his action. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son to the altar? A sacrificial action. And I'll tell you what that sacrificial action is. Is a reckoning you old men dead. That is the ultimate work of faith. And reckoning yourself alive in the spirit to God. An action of faith is is bringing down every thought and making it captive. Making it obey the word of truth. So you can walk out this pure persuasion. Moved by the spirit of the Lord. Was not Abraham our father justified? I've heard this offering up Isaac. People have, have used it in such religious context of um, you got something, dear impression, Salina. I'm gonna put it on the altar, and and God would see how much I really believe Him. And and and, and in that process, we're totally not recognizing that we live life before God, and the greater sacrifice is this this sacrifice of praise to live a pure life before Him. To have thoughts that line up with the word of God. To be led solely by the Holy Ghost. And if the Lord says, give something up, you give it up. But it's not a cost to you to greatest pleasure. Because you are following the lead of life.
Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And that's how we grow up through the exercising of our faith. How do we exercise our faith? By sitting and thinking, thinking, thinking. It is by doing. By doing the word of God. By offering a cup of cold water in his name. By being tender-hearted towards one another. By forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. By staying awake in this hour where the slumber is so great and, and there's such a dimness of sight out there. And so Abraham believed God. Uh, verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled which said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? She could have chosen to believe the strength of the walls of Jericho. The natural fortification of where she lived. But she chose to believe an invisible reality of the word of God. That those spies came sent by God. And they were truly the giant in the land. And there was a great dread in the enemy's camp where the Israelites were concerned. Because the fear of the Lord had moved in. And so she chose to believe an invisible reality. And then verse 26 for us, the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. That word works is ergon um, it's the strongs 2041 and of course this is a noun the works uh, without works is dead let's go to ephesians we're going to make our way to matthew no wavering in this hour and we will not waver if we're firmly planted on the word of god and we live out of this divine reality of being a doer of the word of god of putting flesh to that word that we believe. Of acting out our persuasion of freedom. Stand fast, therefore, in this liberty that Christ has set you free. Don't again be entangled with this bondage of the world and the fear to the world that all of their lifetime men were subject to. That fear of death. Ephesians 1. So we just looked at the word Ergon regarding works, right? It's actually work, task, employment, a deed, action. So that whatever we believe, we act from that faith persuasion, right? So in Ephesians 1, let's go to um, 18. This is Paul's prayer. That the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, in the saint, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, that's dunamis, towards us who believe, that's the word pistis, according to the, which is faith, to those who have faith, according to the working, and this is it, this word working, actually, what's neat about it is that, um, again, the Strong's Concordance, and it's 119, 
I'm looking at the words because it gives us a, a greater understanding and, and it gives us answers so we don't have to struggle anymore with walking a straight path without stumbling. Displayed in the working of his mighty strength. That word working is energeion and you can hear the word, you can hear the word work in it, right? And that is, um, a working of the spirit, right? It's a working of the spirit. And the root word of it is energy. Uh, let's see here. It takes you right back to ergon. Takes you right back to ergon. But the word working is to be engaged with a work. It is to be in operation of that which you believe. And so when, when we are working the works of God, it's really the Holy Ghost that is moving and propelling us as we engage with this persuasion. Let's see the breakdown. It's, it's action, productive work. It is confined to superhuman activity. This working is a super, super human activity. So it's not something just to do because you got to do something. It's something that you are led to do by the Holy Spirit. And that's what faith does. Faith is a propeller of an action. Faith is, faith is what makes you become a doer of the word of God. And then we have, uh, in verse 20, which he, that is God, worked, and here he have the word worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this is a work that God does, and it's the same. It's, um, let me go to that verse, Strong's. In the Strong's, it's actually translated, which he exerted, but it's energio. It is to work, to do. And so we see God does, and we see we do. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Did Jesus ever stumble? No, because he did what? He only did what he what? So his father do. And so we only do what we see our father do. How do we see what our father does if he's in the, in the invisible? Faith. Because faith is of the, of the invisible, right? Faith is of the invisible. So now we can go to Mark. Actually, Matthew, we go to Matthew. It's in Matthew 14. You always do what you believe, right? So we're going to see here an exposure into what Peter believed at this particular moment because we know that um, he became a lot more persuaded because we had re just read from First Peter about being born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God that endures forever. So this is in his earlier life. In uh, Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. So there is a forward momentum. They said, you go, you go ahead, uh, ahead of me. Uh, whereas Jesus stayed behind to pray. That's verse 23. Now, when evening had come, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. These are the adverse winds. The wind was contrary, and we live right now in the moment where our boat is tossed, and there are contrary winds. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, this is good news. Jesus always comes to us in that moment. In that moment, Lord Jesus lives in us. He knows the moment. And we're called to these moments to 
stabilize the winds, to make it stable for everyone else because we already are stable because we are firmly planted on his words. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They cried out for fear. They had just been with Jesus, feeding the 5,000. Oh, oh. You see, the carnal mindset, driven by fear. So it's not how many miracles you see. It's that which you believe. We want to see miracles. Actually, the greatest miracle is faith, birth in the heart of man to believe. And to do that which is impossible to man to do. Based on a finished work of God. Based on a working of the Holy Ghost that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And together with his raising, we know we've looked over the many weeks and months and over a year now that we together with him were raised and seated. And so when we talked about faith without works, it is this divine propelling motion that as Jesus only did what he saw the Father do, that we be only led by the Spirit of the Lord and do the works of Christ. And signs always follow us. Because a demonstration of a supernatural reality. Oh, glory be to God. So let's see what goes on. We can see that there was fear in their heart. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. He's encouraging you today. Be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid in this hour. It is he in you both. Don't be afraid in this hour. Be of good cheer. We are to be of good cheer. God is for us. And Peter answered him, and look at the boldness that came from that statement, be of good cheer. It brought forth courage in Peter so much more. He's willing to step out. And today we got to step out. We got to step out and do the works of Christ. What is it? Not to be afraid. Not to be afraid. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you in the water. And Jesus said, and he said, Come. I looked at that word said. It's a neat thing because the Holy Ghost said for me to look it up. And so I did. And so I did. And it's just such a beautiful word because this is what he's speaking to us. This is how he communicates. It says he and he said. Now that that said is answer. So he answered bid. So he bid like a bidding. Regarding Jesus, he, he said, um, that word is also bring word. So Jesus brought a word and that word is also command. But what's neat about it is, is it's a primary verb. It is to speak or to say by word or writing. I love it. By word or writing. To answer, bid, bring word, to call, to command, to grant, to say on, to speak, to tell. Well, this is what the Logos does. This word says to you, whether you hear with your spiritual ear in a more audible fashion or whether it is written, it's him saying it to you. It says whether, whether it is spoken or written. 
So we can't say, well, I'm not in Peter's situation. I'm not standing before Jesus and he's saying to me, come. Oh, really? We are, actually, through this written word. He is the word. And he's saying, come. He's saying, come, which is an imperative, come. Come. Draw nigh unto him today so he can draw nigh unto you. <laughs> come, he says. And Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Cause this could have been, this could have been how that, that chapter finished. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the bar, on the water. And the next subtype, subtitle could have been many touch him and are made well. But no, there is a, a little chunk of writing between walking on the water and the next portion of truth. And it's this one here. It's this one here. But when he saw, but when Peter saw that the wind was boisterous, very strong wind today, very strong wind today, very strong wind. He was afraid and beginning to sing. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. Fear spoke out of him. He was not persuaded by the word of God. And we'll see it later on. He isn't because Jesus said he's not. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. The mercy of God caught him. And this is the very love of God. And like we read what love is. Love does not parade himself. Jesus could have gloated over and said, oh, it, well, you, you silly thing. You, I said, come. He didn't believe me. So what happens when you don't believe me. Oh, he reached immediately. He, he, he plucked him out of the water and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. And that's faith. It's business that's based on that persuasion that we spoke of, that we looked in that definition. Why did you doubt? And that word doubt is waver. Why did you waver? That's what he said to me. No wavering in adverse wind. Don't waver in the adverse wind today. And I'll tell you how you're not going to waver. You're not going to waver if you're firmly planted in this persuasion and not disobedient to the word of God. And like the word disobedient, being disloyal, refusing to conform, willful disobedience, willfully not wanting to believe. Why? Because we know better than God. Because we've lived a few years. I just turned 50. Live 50 years, God, 50 years. I have 50 years worth of experience. And I've got all the stories of my parents and grandparents. I have a little experience I've gleaned from others and their experiences. I have a volume of a testament to present to you why I choose to believe my reality, Jesus. My reality. So I said, okay. So I sink. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Right there, picks me right back up. Believe. But there's always a chastening. That, that, that we said that when he speaks to us, whether in word or whether written, it's, it's, it's a bidding. He's answering us. He's bringing a word to us. He's commanding us. He's encouraging us. The word is, is good for all of it. That's what Paul tells Timothy. And so today, be open-hearted. Be open-hearted to the Word of God. And come back to the Word because we know how faith comes. It's through this 
word. Keep reading. Keep meditating. Keep talking about the word. Keep mulling it over. And what is it doing? It's going to shift you from the Peter that we saw here in Matthew 14 to the first Peter that we read. And then there's second Peter as well. That is a growth of a maturity. And actually we'll finish what Peter said. To desire the word of God. Let's go back to, and then we, we're done. We're done. I just have to find my Bibles, my, my books in the Bible, my books in the Bible. Where's First Peter? I even have a bookmark on it. Ha ha. Here, First Peter two, uh, verse two, as newborn babes. This is this is my encouragement for you today, so you can not waver in the adverse wind. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And that is what happened to Peter. He grew thereby. That word come kept resonating. And let that word come resonate within you. Amen. Amen. We are done. Glory be to God.